0: The Giro is in full swing and what a race it's been. Coming off the back of a wild Tour de France, the unpredictable outcome of the Giro reminded Bobby and I of another remarkable year where Ryder Hesjedal took the pink jersey in a nail biter of a final TT to win the Giro. So we decided to sit down with Ryder and get a little bit of an insight into what is a rather interesting career in professional cycling. This week on Put Your Socks On. to another episode of Put Your Socks On. My name is Angus Morton, and as per usual programming, I am joined by Bobby J. Mate, how are you going?
1: I'm doing great, Gus. Had a bit of a interesting weekend. Uh, it was our my wife and I's 22nd anniversary, so um, that's always a, a Dang, special congrats. day. And we were going out to the lake, and I was under the impression that I was going to ride my bike out there and meet them. So I got it all kitted up. I'm about ready to walk out the door. And for the first time, um, we've only been married for 22 years, but we've been together for 28. I got the boomerang. She would not let me ride out to the lake. She's like, listen, we're going out there. We're having lunch. You're going to be late. This is my day. So for the first time in 28 years, she, uh, she didn't let me ride my bike. So um, man, times, times are changing. Ah. And yeah, weather's getting a little cooler. Still beautiful. We got the the Hincapie Graham Fondo coming up this next week, so yeah, it's it's all it's all go here in Greenville, South Carolina,
0: mate. It sounds like it. It sounds like it. And not only is it all go in Greenville. It's all go in Italy right now. Man, it's been a huge couple of weeks, not only in the Giro, but also uh, on the classics front as well.
1: Yeah, it is crazy watching the Giro d'Italia at the same time as, as the, the the classic races. But um, just to catch up a little bit, I think we left off at around stage three, which was the the mountaintop finish to Etna. Um, the stage four mm-hmm. the next day was won by Arnaud Damar from Francis de Joux over Sagan. Then Filippo Gana, the man of the hour, um, at, at team Ineos Grenadier, uh, had a, you know, blew everyone away. He won the prologue. We know that, but then he wins solo on a very, very hard day. I know a lot of people are talking about it, but if he can do that and he has that sort of power, I wonder if. He's thinking about switching priorities over to the general classification. But, man, he's got a big year coming up next year with the Olympics. Man, he he's so successful right now. I don't know if you want to mess with too much stuff, but it does get you thinking, at least myself, about a guy as big as him, uh, Miguel Enderin winning so many Tour de France's, if, if this guy can make the switch.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That was one of uh, one of the most remarkable rides I've seen in, in a long time, and it seems like for Filippo Garner, the sky's the limit. Stage six, Arnaud de Mar. Stage seven, bit of a pattern forming here. Arnaud Demar, again, two really good wins. He is, um, you know, it wasn't taken to the Tour de France, but he's certainly making it up for it in the first week of the Giro.
1: Yeah, three stage wins in four days. That's that's pretty impressive. And um, still don't understand why they didn't take him to the Tour, but he's turned out to be one of the most successful, if not the most successful. I haven't done a last tally count of... of- Individual stage wins or individual victories this year. So, um, going to be interesting if he can get through this last week in the mountains and, and hold on to the, the points jersey, but we'll see. Uh, stage eight was a great result. Alex Dowsett, um, the first, what a great solo win. He's, he's a great guy. He worked with him at, at Team Sky back in the day. And it was the first win for Israel Startup Nation in, in Grand Tours. So, after having Sylvain Adams on not too long ago, it's just great to see that his team uh, finally finally got that big win in a Grand Tour.
0: Absolutely, and then another exceptional win from uh, EF Pro Cycling's Ruben Guerrero. He played a bit of a tactical game there, but won atop the rather hard mountain finish. Um, so it's good to see EF, you know, up there and, and 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 winning again in their rather wild duck jerseys. Stage ten, finally. Peter Sagan wins in that was that was an epic day. Brandon McNulty at, uh, for UAE formerly of of Team Rally with an exceptional result in second place there as well.
1: Yeah, this was the day. Remember that uh, a lot of individuals and a team or two had to stop due to some COVID nineteen issues and we all know that Peter Sagan has been the face and ambassador of the Giro since over last winter when all of a sudden all these ads started popping up, him promoting the Giro. So I wonder if the old uh, race organization called up Mr. Sagan the night before and said, hey, listen, you need to do something to take the focus of, of, of us talking about COVID. So what does he do? He goes out, instead of Getting second in a sprint like he did on, on stage four and, and stage seven. He just throws caution to the wind and goes solo and, and has a, a great ride in, in really kind of crappy conditions. So it did get us stop talking about COVID for, for a while. So Peter, you, uh, in my opinion, fulfilled your obligation to the Giro um, organization, if you will. Um, then next day we get Damar winning over Sagan again, stage 12, Jonathan, Navarez from Ineos Grenadier went for a great solo win. Man, so far, up until this point, Ineos is having a pretty good pretty good race.
0: They sure are. They sure are. I mean, Theo Gegenhartz had been up there in, in all the finishes. Obviously, they lost uh, Thomas early on. But, you know, I think uh, you could argue they're a little late to kind of turn their tour around, although they got that remarkable stage win um, uh, towards the end there with... Um, Kwiatkowski However, this race straight away from the gun, they've been able to be on the front foot, and despite you know the setback with with Thomas, they've just continued to win. So it's been it's been cool to see them be aggressive, um, because it's not something that we're used to really in a, in in a Grand Tour from from Team Ineos.
1: Yeah, and uh, Diego Alizi from UAE Team Emirates, won on Stage 13. And Stage 14, here we are talking about Filippo Ghana again. He won the time trial ahead of teammate Rowan Dennis and Brendan McNulty, who catapulted himself all the way up to, to fourth overall in the general classification. So I wouldn't want to be doing a time trial against Filippo Ghana anytime soon. I mean, we know how dominant Rowan has been in the past. And, you know, he's just... Got a teammate that's that's right there, and uh, must not be the easiest thing to do. But for me, the the Giro so far, the best stage for me was watching Teo Gegenhart win stage 15 Uh, on a summit finish. So great to see him come through. He's uh, an ex guest here on on Fizzo, so coming through with that huge win and giving Ineos their fifth stage win in, in 15 stages. So yeah, things are. Looking up there at the Ineos if, camp.
0: If there was one stage to epitomise the changing of the guard, I feel like stage fifteen was it. Obviously, Tao wins, but we saw Jai Hindley on the front, Chris Harper on the front for uh, Wilco Kelderman doing what can what can only be described as just exceptional rides for both of those two young Aussies, as well as obviously Jao Alameda in the in the Jersey. Right, he came. He started to come apart. He was dropped. You know, seven. Six or seven k from from the top, but he didn't panic. He didn't overdo it. He just held his own, limited his losses, you know. And then we saw uh, Jakob Fuglsang drop away early on. We saw Trek on the front, but then we saw Nibali drop away as well. So we we really saw a lot going on. I think on on that final mountain of the Giro, and for me, it it's the, it's the cementing. Uh, I think of that changing of the garden and it, yeah if we if we ever see Nibali or, or, or Fuglesang at the front of um, of Grand Tours certainly in the overall in the future I would be surprised but it looks like we've got a healthy young crop of interesting young bike riders who aren't afraid to take it to them so again I think stage 15 has just set up this last week um, to be an exceptional one and also just flipped the top 10 again. Overall, on its head, I and mean, I know we've seen Almeida at the front uh, of this bike race for most of the time. But if you go stage by stage through uh, third down to tenth, or third down to fifteenth, you'll see those those names are kind of switching around constantly. So it's been a real exciting race behind uh, behind that leader, and I think that this last week's going to yeah just only only provide more intrigue.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, the big storyline is that quote unquote lack of real depth from the. The usual suspects, right? But what I like to see is that these young riders are stepping up and taking their opportunities, which is what cycling is all about, and riding their end to the 2020 season. Three-week races Mm -hmm. are three-week races. We're only two weeks into it. So I think there is gonna be a, a flip-flop. I think there is gonna be a lot of changing movement on the front. Uh stage 16, they have a, a kind of an easier rolling circuit tomorrow with either a sprint or a breakaway. But then stage 17 and 18, very, very, very hard mountain top uh finishes. Uh a little bit of a, a rest slash maybe sprint breakaway day on on stage nineteen. Before stage 20, uh, another incredibly hard mountain stage with a summit finish leading into what could set the table for what what Ryder did and what Tajay Pogacar did in the tour this year, a 16 and a half flat time trial on the final day. So they've got a long way to go. But um, what I what I really like is, you know, can Joao Almeida fight for the win? I mean, right now, he only has 15 seconds over Wilco. Wilco Kilderman from, from Sunweb, uh, Brandon McNulty lost a little bit of time, like with with like a lot of those GC favorites did yesterday. Will he be able to recover from that and come strong in the third week? And a guy like Nibali, a guy like Fulksong, who's who who have lost time, will these guys start throwing those haymakers a la Chris Frome from the Giro of two thousand and eighteen? Man. Uh, it's it's going to be an interesting, super interesting third week of the Giro.
0: Yeah, it sure is. It sure is. And we can't forget uh, this week, as you said at the at the top there, that we had the classics going on. We had Gent Wevelgem, um, which was uh, an interesting precursor to Sunday's Tour of Flanders. But Mads Pedersen, um, the the previous world champion, young bloke from Trek Segafredo, he won ahead of uh, Van der Poel and Van Ert, who seemed to be – Kind of caught in their own little battle between each other.
1: Yeah, that was uh, called marking out your main adversary, and those other guys took took uh, full advantage of it. And and Maz Moz comes through with another great win. And you know you can only imagine if he would have been able to race with that world champion jersey, how how well he would have been able to represent it. But due to the the whole lockdown, he didn't get to race that many times in the jersey, but then he wins Ghent-Wevelgem. So um, obviously got a big career ahead of him.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then Jolien de, Moor, de Hoor, sorry, from Bowles-Domans won the women's race in in the Ghent-Wevelgem. In Depree, the Sprinters Classic, Caleb Ewan wins, which is no surprise there, I don't think.
1: No, not at all. I mean, that you know that's typically the preparatory race before Perry roubaix So a lot of guys kind of use it as training, but you could see from the average speed of that race that um, with Perry roubaix being canceled, there was a lot of riders taking this as their last opportunity of one of their last opportunities of, of the season. And Caleb did a great sprint there. And then yesterday, I mean, let's talk about tour of Flanders a little bit. Yeah. I mean, after the gent wevelgem issue, of them basically marking each other out of the race, you see the two strongest riders in the race, Matteo Vanderpol and Walt Van Aert, get away with current world champion Julian Alaphilippe, and you're just licking your lips. You're like, this is going to be the the showdown of the year. Like the three best guys, all on form, Tour of Flanders on the line, and then. Before we know it, in one split second, Julian's on the ground with, with a broken hand getting hit by a motorcycle or running into a motorcycle. That, that was a real kind of bummer uh, for, 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 I think, everyone, that was. especially, especially uh, Julian and, and his team. But um, you can't say enough about these two ex-cycle cross riders. I mean, to me, Walt Venert is the rider of the season. He's just been winning from you know, the beginning all the way till now. But yeah... Matteo Vanderpol seemed to have a little bit of an issue with what happened in Gent-Wevelgem. I remember reading something where he said he's going to lose sleep over this sort of thing. And man, he just focused mm. all that energy and what a sprint that was. I mean, two of the strongest guys uh sprinting toe to toe there and and basically won it with a bike throw.
0: Yeah, it was great watching that finish there. You know, you could see the group coming from behind. It was like with that with that compressed space of the long camera lens that they use in the finish there, you sort of like, what's the distance between this group? Are they going to kind of come close? And then they were kind of cat and mousing a little bit and playing it. And then just watching watching uh Van reaction time to Vanner when he went was... I mean, yeah, just two athletes like in their absolute prime. At the end of a race that's, you know, five and three quarter hours long. And to see them sprint that way was awesome. And then again, as you said, like coming down to a to a bike throw. And I mean he had it by a reasonable amount, but you could he, he didn't trust it, right? He was he was kind of calling out. You could see him at the finish. He was like, Did I get it? Did I get it? Did I get it? And then when he got it, obviously, you know, kind of lost his uh lost his mind there in, in celebration. So it was yeah, great to see and and I saw a photo of, of the pair of those two in the junior ranks, right? Um, which isn't that long ago to be honest but you know they've had a rivalry for their entire careers even since they were they were kids so it's it's cool to see that um playing out on the main stage and i think it's great to have that kind of a story uh In the world of professional cycling now, we've got these two kind of great champions fighting against each other. So I think it's only going to get more exciting come 2021 and beyond.
1: Yeah, these guys have raced together for a very long time, known each other, and now they're taking that rivalry from the cyclocross course onto the road. So I think we're all very blessed to have that sort of thing. It it was kind of a bummer not having uh, Greg Van Evermet or Peter Sagan in this, but hey, we still got a great race out of it.
0: We did, we did. And on the same day, we had the women's Tour of Flanders as well with Bowles-Domans taking the win again, this time with Chantel Vandenbroek-Black, solo win there.
1: Yeah, they had a good weekend, you can say, uh, or a good week winning winning two big races. So I know that there were some ladies that weren't able to take the start due to some issues. But again, uh, winning solo like that, that's, that's impressive. And uh, going one, two is even better.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and then next uh, weekend, we have an overlap of Grand Tours, which seems kind of strange, uh, but the Vuelta starts on October yeah, 20th. Yeah, tomorrow,
1: tomorrow. Um, I mean, uh, th- you have the Giro d'Italia. Oh, shit, it starts tomorrow, sorry. the Giro sorry. d'Italia and the, the, the Vuelta. Yeah. Um, we are definitely going to be stuck in front of our TV screens for, for another couple of weeks here, because just when you think you're going to have a couple of days off, then they, they overlap the grand tours. But to me, this is going to be a weird one. I mean, hey, A, it's starting October 20th. It's starting in the north of Spain. And looking at the parkour, they may as well call this the, the, the tour of northern Spain. And weather could be an issue... Uh, I know that they've, they've sent out notifications to the crowds that they can't come on because those are the most rambunctious, passionate fans on the planet is in, in Northern Spain. So it's going to be a weird one, but I hope everything goes off without a hitch. I mean, we got Froome and Carpas from Ineos. Rolich is doing the Vuelta with Demolen and Sepp Coop. I mean, this looks like a very, very strong team. Are they going to be as strong as they were in the tour? Uh, I wouldn't bet against them. You know, you got Pino from Frances de Joux, uh Valverde and Eric Moss from Movistar, uh, our boys Michael Woods and TJ Van Garderen from EF. So just when we thought the season was winding down, like these guys are going to keep us entertained for the next couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, it's going to be, as you said, an exciting and weird one, but uh, it's going to be cool. I mean, more racing, <laughs> more racing, which is... I wouldn't say that that's what I needed in uh, in October, this late in the year. But I, I'm still I'm still loving watching it and still uh, really enthralled by it. Also, it's going to be great.
1: It still brings me back to man these thinking about these guys as off season. The, the, obviously, some guys have you know called an end to their season, and then there's other guys that are going to be racing for the next couple of weeks in in Spain. So I hope in the race calendar. Uh, phase plan for these guys next year that they, they don't have to start racing in, in Tour Down Under, for example, because man, that's going to be a quick turnaround. From a start in mountain biking and then joining Powerhouse Discovery Channel on the road in 2004, our guests today grinded out a long career in the pro peloton, both on and off the road. Many are remembered for their individual achievements, but Ryder Heisdahl was also known for being one of the strongest support riders when the race was on the line for his team leader. The word soft is not in his vocabulary, and hope that today we can learn a little bit more about, among other things, the only Canadian to date who has won a Grand Tour, the Giro d'Italia in 2012. Welcome to Fizzo, Ryder Heijdal.
2: Nice to see you.
1: Yeah, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Let's uh, let's get this kicked off. You know, we got a lot to talk about. The Giro is obviously on. Wanted to learn yeah. a little bit more about you know the start of your career. You know, switching from the dirt to the road. So let's start at the beginning. Like you were obviously very successful in the junior under twenty three and elite uh, mountain bike scene. But what year did you actually start riding mountain bikes?
2: Yeah, good question mountain biking was just like the thing to do when I was growing up the popularity and just the the movement of mountain biking in the early 90s certainly on Vancouver Island and around British Columbia and obviously throughout everywhere in the world so that's what I did that's what I wanted to do for fun with my friends we would just you know if we weren't in school we were on our mountain bikes just smashing the trails and pushing ourselves so I was exposed to races pretty early on. We had a high school mountain bike league, which was pretty uh, unique for that time. So there was races to do there. And then just locally on the island, there was big races where you'd see uh, factory pros, you know, from from Vancouver, Rocky Mountain, Kona Bikes, Brody. I mean, you would see these real pros already. You know, I was probably 12 years old, 1993, doing, doing races around locally. So yeah, I just... That's all I wanted to do. I hooked into it pretty hard. And by 95, I was traveling as far as I could with my family to, you know, as far as Alberta and just driving around. The, the BC Cup itself was a pretty healthy uh, series and enough races to do a season's worth. And then uh, by 96, I was on my way to the Junior World Championships in Australia. So 15 years old, I was on a plane to Australia going to the World Champ. So I was pretty hooked by
1: then. Yeah. Yeah. So that was your first international event was flying all the way to Australia for that race.
2: Yep. Yeah. We had uh, the national championships in Whistler. So close, close to home, not on the other side of the country. So that was my uh, first national championships. I was had to get exemption to race in junior because I was still cadet with my birth date, you know, riding as a 16 year old was second at the nationals. So that got me a ticket to the world's
1: Awesome, awesome. And when you were kicking yeah. around with your buddies at that, you know, early mid 90s era, did you have a main influencer or a role model at that time or were you just having fun with your buddies?
2: Yeah, no, just just fun, fun with friends, you know, just pushing ourselves and riding as much as we could and doing as crazy as we could in the in the trails just pushing it come home you know battered and bruised and bloody and it was just the best thing so you know once once I started going to the races where you know there were uh, professionals there at the time and they were already racing on on the world stage Andreas Hessler was a local Victoria guy and he was you know down in the Norba's getting placings down there so there was a Real good crop of riders to look up to and see, yeah, I mean these guys are from the same area as me and and they're racing around the world, so that's kind of what I wanted to
0: do and then going from mountain bike to the road, like what precipitated that move for you?
2: you know timing also I was riding on the road, I mean I saw that right away, you know guys were already crossing over from the road a lot at that time, so You know, you can't ride in the muddy rock and roots all day, every day. You got to go and, you know, we'd be riding on the road on our mountain bikes, you know, for hours and hours, just getting to the trails and that sort of thing. I think I got my first road bike in 95, just because, you know, another bike and obviously made more sense to to ride on the road on a road bike. So I started to incorporate that and just, you know, ride more that way and didn't really get into road races till kind of espoir age you know wanted to do more have more possibilities to ride and race so the the main ones i started with was with the national team doing u23 projects uh, along with the mountain biking knowing like that would obviously help help the engine and get you stronger so once i started to do that you know that sort of opened my eyes a bit more to what was out there and what was possible so 20, 21, 22, I was doing pretty high level races. We'd go to Redlands as a, you know, a mountain bike composite team, just, you know, getting opportunities like that. And I just sort of progressed till I won a couple races in the spring in 2002. And that caught the eye of a Canadian guy that was helping us over there that had connections with Rabobank. And then I got the, the tryout with those guys in the end of the 2002 season. So, Right there, I was already, you know, basically at the top of, of both sports and, and team respect.
0: And I'm interested, like nowadays, it's, well, I mean, certainly in the last couple of years with someone like Matthew Vanderpoel, you know, racing both mountain bike discipline and obviously the road and, and Sagan at the Olympic Games. Back then, it wasn't it wasn't super common to go from mountain biking onto the road and be necessarily successful. There was certainly plenty of riders who, who, who tried. How was that viewed back in the day from... The road riders like you know you stepping off or having a one foot in both worlds yeah
2: I and mean, it's a good question i think it's kind of just individual for everyone's experience i mean obviously Cadell was was at the highest level mountain biking progressed onto the road and it's really just you, you either have success or you don't i think is what you know takes you further so i mean the first race i, I did with rabble bank funny enough was uh the Volta Catalunya de L'Avenir, you know, the young riders tour of Catalunya. I had no idea where that was. I had finished the mountain bike, uh, world cup final in Leger, France, and then just went down there. First race was that race mountain biker style, not really knowing anything just kind of going as hard as you can. Got in the right move at the start of the race, helped my teammate win Teo Eltnik Eltnik is his name. He, he turned pro after, uh, that team. And then I was able to, to win the overall. So they were pretty pretty happy with that right away. It wasn't like, oh, you're a mountain biker. We don't know what you can do. It's like you win a race and that's it. You're in. So <laughs> it was pretty straightforward.
1: Yeah. Especially on the Bank development team. I mean, that was just a, back then it was the absolute feeder to the pros. And you stayed there for yeah. you know a year or so. And then you signed with U.S. Postal in, in 2004. How was that that transition? I mean, you're going from a mountain bike background to an under-23 development team to, like, the best team in the world, you know, with multiple Tour de France's.
2: What was that like? I mean, I was excited. I mean, that's, you know, I was 23 years old. You know, here I am in the front of the races and mountain biking for, you know, about five, six years at that point. And uh, now I'm professional mountain bike and road on, you know, I guess, you know, we you call the, the Yankees of the sport or whatever. I mean, to, to be doing both at that point. Yeah. I was, I was pumped. I mean, it was hard. I mean, that was a tough year. I mean, I'm going, you know, the real, real mountain bike races that count, you know, aren't starting until about March, April. So there's a lot of, a lot of time to, to ride and train. So that was perfect for me to go, you know, you, you show up uh, in Solvang and do a two week real camp with us postal. I mean, you get fit, you know, and I was there and just, just loving the opportunity riding, you know, with George and Ecky and Barry and just all these guys. And they really took me under their wing too, because, you know, they could tell how kind of deep I was in, you know, trying to be this mountain biker and then also doing the road stuff. So it was hard. That year was pretty tough. And by the end of it all, I was done with trying to do both at the same time. So that's what kind of led to closing the chapter on the mountain bike and just going all in on the road.
1: But in 2004, you actually did the Olympics, uh, on the mountain bike. Did you also do the the road race?
2: Yeah. No, 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 just mountain bike. I mean, really that was still, that was the number one priority. You know, the, the road stuff was just to, to help, you know, try and get, get stronger and better and get the experience. Got to do the early season stuff, you know, three days at the pond and, Amstel Gold and these types of races already was pretty huge. Uh, I was going to ride Roubaix and then at the last second, they bumped me off the roster. So I went the next day to uh, the one day race after Pays Basque, uh, what's it called? Classica Primavera. And around like fifth there, I think. So I was getting a good taste of, of real high level racing just to kind of get myself going for the mountain bike season, which was the main priority. So once the World Cup started in the, in the spring and summer, uh, I didn't do any more races on, on the road that year.
1: And and using those races to get fit for, obviously, the Olympics. Tell us a little bit about your Olympic experience there in 2004. I mean, I remember very vaguely that you were you were definitely in the, the hunt for a medal and then had a mechanical or a flat tire or something, correct? Yeah,
2: the, I think, well, I don't know who does the Wikipedia stuff. It's a little bit Uh, I I wouldn't say I was on my way to a gold medal. I mean, I would flat it, I think, in the first 15 minutes. So it was pretty, pretty tough after that. Uh, You know, you're dead last on a single track, dusty track at the Olympics. It was going to be a tall order. But I mean, I think if everything went well, uh, I definitely had a chance to be up there, but ended up flatting again, double flat and was sitting in the pits, you know, with a little tear in the eye, and that was the Olympic dream over. Oh, boy. Okay. So it wasn't that great. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Not great. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and in yeah, 2006, yeah. you you switched to Phonak. And then in 2007, you came back to an American team, HealthNet Maxis. What transpired there to go from, you know, a promising European career with European teams and then maybe having to come back and, and take a step back a little bit for that year?
2: Um, Well, just... It was just the the time. I mean, things weren't great. Obviously, Phonak, uh, things weren't great. Things fell apart. The team dismantled. Didn't really have any great opportunities. You know, no one was banging my door down to to, uh, to ride for them. So, you know, I just kind of took, took a step back, took stock of things, and I uh, just kind of wanted to get back to North America, and the team had enough opportunities to race uh, you know, still at that time. It, tour of Georgia, California, you know, there's still a healthy calendar. So I knew, you know, I'd I'd have opportunities to show myself and just be able to to be really be a leader on the team. I mean, I was at the bottom, to say the least, you know, on those types of teams, as far as the roster goes, which is also okay. But at some point, you want to kind of have that opportunity for yourself and kind of made sense. And they gave me a a role like that on the team. I think it was a, a good move. I was able to Going to take a break from the, you know, it's not easy to be over in, in Europe six, eight months of the year and just going full gas. So that actually led me to, to getting my house in Maui and just focusing on myself and training good and, and being happy and, and racing well. So, you know, that was more or less the, the situation through 07 and I was able to show myself good. And, and then Slipstream was obviously in the works for a, an ambitious program for 2008. So. You know, the rest is history. I wouldn't change anything.
1: I I think it's great, uh, especially to to young riders out there. Is you know taking a step back, you know, to refocus your priorities because, like, like you said, from 2008 into 2015, um, I'm going to call it slipstream because you guys changed your name so many many times. But you really yeah, seem yeah. to you know have found like your team, and you know you had a lot of results during this time. I, I remember in 2008, you guys won the TTT and the Giro, and that gave Christian Vanneveld um, the, the pink jersey for the first time for an American since Andy Hampson in uh, 1988. And then you helped him get fourth place overall in the tour that year. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with, with that team. I mean, it was kind of a, a bunch of guys thrown together, but you guys really seemed to bond. And then you know, you and Christian to this day still have such a unique relationship. Tell us about the start of that whole uh, Slipstream project with all you guys, big hitters coming in.
2: Oh, it was just exciting. You know, I was like, it was going to be hard. You know, we had no guarantees. We were still a, a Conti team. So, you know, we had to earn our our way into the big races, but you know, you look around and you see the group of guys that is willing to, to go for that challenge. I mean, it was just perfect. I knew I had it much as uh Shot as anyone to be on those teams if we were going to the Giro or going to the Tour de France, so for me that that prospect was just huge and, and super motivating. You know, right from right from the beginning of the whole thing, we did a real hard training camp in uh, Silver City, New Mexico, and I was on the first uh, first wave of guys going to Europe. I mean, it, I, I mean, I didn't make the California team. You know, that was the big big race starting out to start the year for the team, and you know they sent me to Grand Prix Marseille and almost won the race got third and uh you know i was in i was in the rotation and uh that was it we were just taking every opportunity we could christian was flying dave was flying the guys were just making our uh presence be known and you know we got the starts that we needed got to that giro and i mean to win that team time trial I mean, that was pretty, uh pretty special. That was the first. So my first grand tour was the Giro in 2005. Just all got destroyed, had a huge crash. Basically, couldn't pedal my bike at the end of the second week, abandoned the stage. And that's the day that Savidelli went into the pink jersey. So I'm on the Giro winning team, but I'm not even there for the last week. And then uh, the next Giro I went to is 2008. And we take the pink jersey on the first day, so. I got a kind of neat connection to the Giro.
1: Yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> and then, yeah, I mean, to not fast forward to 2012 right away, like it just seemed like there was, you know, a progression. Uh, in 2009, oh, absolutely. you won a stage of the Vuelta, became the first um, Canadian to win a Grand Tour stage since Steve Bauer did it. But then 2010, that's when I really started to think, this, this guy is, is really a complete rider. Do you think, I mean, you got, you did really well in Strata Bianca, which made sense. Um, then you got second in Amstel Gold behind Philippe Gilbert and then fifth overall in the tour. Was was 2010 your best overall year, even knowing that you, you did win the Giro a couple of years later? No,
2: absolutely. I think I ended the year seventh overall in the world ranking. I mean, that year, you know, really it, it started in 08. You know, I think it's clear I can handle a big big volume and load of training and racing and that's what I needed to be in top shape so 2008 is the first year where I started to put together two grand tours a year so you do the Giro and the tour in 2008 you're a different rider and you know from everything you know you just pushed yourself you've gone deeper than you have ever had and you know, I was able to keep that going 2009, do the tour, do the Vuelta. So always putting two grand tours together in a good way. So, uh, you know, that really, I think, took me to a new level. I went after winning the stage in the, the Vuelta. I mean, I was I was pumped. I did an awesome off season and just kept that momentum into 2010. You know, I was able to, to be in the front of kind of every race that I went to through that year. So that was a big year. You know, I think after that, it was uh, kind of a different mindset of, of how I could go to races.
0: Did that sort of plant the seed that like maybe I could potentially be in contention for one of these Grand Tours in the overall? And did you begin to focus on on Grand Tours or was that something that you were just sort of looking to be at the front of, of whatever bike race you were in? Uh,
2: no, I think, I mean, that first time, you know, I, Christian had been uh, top five. Then again, we helped Brad to a top five, whatever the fourth or third in the end he was still eight. I mean, so he was the leader who was clear. I mean, I was just preparing to go to help him, uh, you know, try and and do the same thing. It was proven and and that's it. You have the plan. So, you know, I was just going there to be as good as possible and and obviously take opportunities, maybe have a, a chance to go stage hunting here and there, but you know, that changed right away. And you know, whatever the, the stage was early on third stage or whatever, the, stocko massacre or whatever the heck it was you know bad crash and Christian was out you know it's just like okay wow you know not just that we don't have a guy that we know can go for the overall just a good friend and teammate I mean that was just like just a lame momentum shift and uh just went for it the next day and I'm almost winning the the Roubaix stage in the tour so that's it you know I just switched on the guy's like okay we're gonna support you just try and go as good as you can. It's unknown. I don't know. I mean, you know, you can ride well, but I don't know how a three week race, especially at the tour is going to be, you know, by the end, I'm, I'm just behind Alberto and, and Andy on, on the Tourmalet, you know, at the end of three weeks. So that proved to me that, you know, not only could I get through it, but I was getting better at the end. So yeah, after that, we just made the plan. Well, let's go to the tour again. So that was, that was it for 2011. It was just about the tour. And sure enough, you know, you put in all the work and everything and get caught up in a bad crash and GC is over. You got to pivot. And we ended up you know, having an amazing tour. I think we we're seven days in yellow with Tor. Won the team time trial. Won the team overall. You know, there's just a lot of ways to, to get a lot out of a bike race. So, you know, 2011 just kept the momentum going again. And uh, that was it. We were just on, on a high the
1: team. Talking about being on a high in 2012, you guys win the team time trial again and you get into shouting distance of the overall jersey. You, you take it, you lose it, you take it back, you lose it. And then yeah. in the final TT, you, you come out and, and you win a grand tour, the Giro d'Italia. Tell us about that experience. We had Alan Piper on, and he to this day remembers that very vividly. Uh, very often, when I'm riding with Christian, this comes up. I mean, we're kind of seeing a lot of this in Grand Tours where the gaps are getting smaller and smaller. So it's more about not throwing, you know, not throwing the baby out with the dishwater and just, you know, pulling the pin. But like to take the jersey, lose it, take it, lose it, and then finally win it. I mean, tell us a little bit about that three week experience with, with you and your teammates there?
2: Well, that's the ultimate roller coaster. I mean, we'll just do a, a quick rewind real quick. So in that winter of 11, you know, the team came to me and said, okay, this is great. Great year. We want you to go for the Giro next year. So that was already a shift. You know, I thought I'd paid my dues at the Giro. You know, it's all about the tour. You want to go ride fast? You know, the tour is the way of place to be. They're like, no, no, we want you to ride the Giro. That's your race. And I said, well, okay, I'm the leader in November. I said, yeah. I said, okay, I'll, I'll take this opportunity. That's what I'm going to focus on. It doesn't matter the race. It's getting there the best as possible. So I just did that process through the spring, showed up there in good shape. So you know when you're good, you have all options and you're, you're optimistic. And we set out at that race, and that was simply it. There was never a moment where I was like, Ugh, I'm kind of out of this thing now. So that was the first experience that I've really gone through a grand tour where you're always in touching distance of the, the front. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Not, not a lot of riders can say they've had that experience. You know, it's, it's really trying to just get the most out of You can't have the race. At one point, you're like, oh, well, you know, top five still possible, you know. Okay, top ten still possible. And, you know, for that race to go like it did, it was incredible so you know i just kept feeding off that opportunity the team was awesome i mean everyone once that momentum and that possibility starts to be real and everyone's believing in it it's it's just real special to kind of be the guy that you know is the guy really trying to pull it off so i really did appreciate that that moment
0: obviously the the final time trial was like a crucial stage right you took took the jersey there back took the jersey back but I remember Lockie telling me a story about when you were chasing Thomas De Gant, I think it was over the Moria Rollo and you basically had to ride like the whole stage on the front can you sort of tell us is, I mean was that one of the other crucial stages or am I wrong no there? no I mean, can you tell us about that no
2: that was I mean that was insane but I mean really the whole like race this quickly like I remember the one day after the team time well obviously we put Ramunas and Alvodoskis in pink jersey amazing guy he was like, he had done his turn in the team time trial. He was like kind of sitting up and like, that's what kind of guy he is. He's like, no dude, you just stay on. Like you're going to go into pink because he had the, the best result from the opening time trial. So anyways, he's in pink. Great guy. We got the pink Jersey. Like everything's good. We've already won another stage. Uh missed the pink Jersey for myself. Just choked. Like, you know, you don't know, like, was that the last chance for me to get the jersey? You know, like that was still kind of the mindset. Every day is, you know, important. Don't get it. Then we just go to the next day. Christian leads the way. We put get into good position, get through a, a hard stage. End of the first week, I got the jersey. So, you know, that was like every day there was always something. Well, now we're defending the pink jersey. Our team was a bit of a purpose-built for certain things, but not for that big picture, I think. So we decided to manage it the whole time. And, uh, you know, that day, that was the the penultimate day. Motorola, Stelvio, I'm not in the jersey, but, you know, everyone's riding as if I have the jersey. They say, oh, you're going to take two minutes on the last time trial or something. And I never believed that. I needed to do everything all the time. And, uh, you know, we had, it was a complicated, complicated stage. We only had Christian and Peter that could really climb. So that's two guys. Uh, i had sent Christian up in the break because everyone was sending their second and third best guys up the road. So I needed my my best guy up the road for whatever the situation. Peter was there. He had an amazing, amazing tour for him. He's still a young rider, and he really stepped up, I think, and did more than he thought was possible. But he couldn't make it over the Motorola. I was isolated, and the guy started moving. So it was just a complicated situation, but in the end – Christian was up the road so he could wait. That waiting, that was what was letting DeGent ride away for minutes and minutes. But then finally, Peter came from behind. As soon as we got back together, it was just team time trial to the bottom of that climb. And Peter did his turn. Christian did his turn. And then I had about eight Ks to go and do my turn. So it was pretty straightforward. You know, It turns into an individual time trial and a mountaintop finish. But uh, yeah, there was just always something you know, for for everything to kind of go right and get through the complicated stuff that's that's what it takes there's really you can't have one one bad thing to to be in the end overall
1: and you being a rider that has his name inscribed on that Grand Tour trophy are you paying attention to the Giro right now and do you see any similarities between what Joao Almeida is is having to go through or what he's going to have to go through this next week
2: well, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely following it. Uh, it's been quite an interesting season, to say the least. And you're watching Liege and the Giro and Flanders and the Giro. So it hasn't been short for for cycling fans to, <laughs> to watch bike racing. So I've been trying to keep track of it all. I mean, just incredible. I think if you just look at all the names, sort of, it's a quite a changing of the guard. I mean, obviously, everyone couldn't be in, in all the races they wanted to be in this year. But, you know, that's giving opportunities for guys that, you know, maybe they didn't uh, expect to be where they are uh, at this point in their career in a race like this so I think that moment kind of comes for every rider hopefully and they can take the most opportunity out of it I mean look at Tao uh, winning a mountaintop stage I mean he was going there just to be a a, a domestique you know so it's pretty exciting to see uh, see the guys and Joao's been in the jersey for pretty much the whole race so we'll see what, what that's done for him energy wise and you know I know from experience when you're wearing that pink jersey you definitely feel good so I think you're seeing that with what he's doing he'll figure out the limits of himself that's
1: for sure this last week. You know hopefully he'll have someone in his ear that was as influential as Alan Piper and and teammates that were as influential as Peter Stetna and Christian Vanneveld for you because it's uh, it seems like it's going to be uh, a death march this last week for sure. But kind of winding up, you know, we, we've we talked about retirement. So then in 2014, you win a stage of the Vuelta. Again, you guys switch uh, sponsors the next year to to Garmin Cannondale. And then you ride your last year with Trek Segre Fredo, both of them being American teams. What was your, your main impetus to change teams there in 2015 and ride for Trek in 2016?
2: I think just time, time again. I mean, the team was was changing. I mean, you could see all the guys, uh, you know, that I had been the core group with, you know, had already retired, Christian, David, and the team. You know, 15 was, was amazing, like uh, having that Italian group come into the team with obviously the, the merger with Cannondale was, was you know, an Italian-style team. You know, those guys were great. And uh, it was a fun year, but really – and I don't know, it just was time to to change and, and really kind of just change it up and almost kind of full circle. You know, a lot of the guys uh, Trek were there when I was there in, in two thousand five. Uh, LVO, you know, uh, from Swan Years directors Dirk De Mole, like uh, you know. But I would say Trek's definitely a, an Italian vibe, European team, which is also nice as a rider. Uh, Luca, you know, he's a he's a hard-ass and ran his team like that. Kim Anderson, I mean, to be around those guys, Fabian, Frank, you know, for the last year was, uh, you know, just something that felt like it would be good. And I knew, you know, they brought me to the team for one last chance at the Giro. I mean, 15, I was right there in the front in, in the last last week, you know, so I felt like I could take another real shot at it. And they gave me that opportunity, so. I just
1: went with it. And now in retirement, overall how how are you dealing with that transition? I mean, I know you have a grand fondo which unluckily had to be canceled this year. I know yeah. you have some some charitable foundations. Uh I know that you have a good golf game going. Um <laughs> sure. how, how how do you feel that, that retirement is is going and um yeah, just let us know what you're up to nowadays. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh I mean it's good definitely a a strange year a tough year you know I was fortunate to just you know be in a in a beautiful place uh Vancouver Island British Columbia that's home that's where my family is so you know to to stay here and not travel you know wasn't wasn't a real hardship compared to you know what a lot of people have had to go through and have been going through and they're still going to go through so you know I'm just I'm just happy to be healthy and and be able to to do what i feel like if i feel like going for a mountain bike ride i go for a mountain bike ride If i feel like golfing i go golfing If i feel like doing a gravel ride that's what i do i want to go on skinny tires and go as fast as possible that's what i do you know and just spend time with friends and family and work on the house and watch bike racing and talk to cool guys
1: like you but i mean let's let's talk a little bit about canadian (laughs) canadian cycling like obviously yourself Steve Bauer, Alex Stita, you know, Allison Sidor, Linda Jackson, these are all all names. Um Gord Fraser. G- Gord Fraser, another yeah. one. Uh, uh, Kurt Harnett, which, Kurt Harnett was oh, one yeah. of my my favorite uh yes. guys back there on yeah. the track back in the Great day. Guy. But um yeah. with with the with the Canadian presence in the Peloton right now, um it's it's a little bit older. Uh, you know, we got Mike Woods and Guillaume Bovin at, at ISN, along with James Piccoli. Mm-hmm. And I think Ben Perry yeah. is there as well. Uh, you got Hugo Hul at Astana. Then you got Rob Britton and Ryan Anderson and Adam DeVos at Rally. And Antoine Duchesne at de at Dijoux. Mm-hmm. Are there, other than these guys, are there any new talents that uh, that is coming out of Canada that we should keep an eye on?
2: Well, I'm sure there is. I mean, I kind of, I mean, I see those guys also, Nigel Else, he just had, he was racing in, in Spain on rally, had a real bad crash. Alex Catterford, he was the only Canadian in the Giro. He unfortunately had to ab- abandon from a bad crash earlier in the race. So, you know, it's really those guys that are maybe not known so much, but they're out there and they're putting in their dues. And then you have a team like Israel, Startup Nation, you know, really having a obviously a Canadian component with, with the owner, Sylvan. So he's, you know, trying to support those guys. So, you know, young rider James Piccoli, I think he's getting his first grand tour start at the Vuelta coming up here, you know, just having, having a place for these guys to go, you know, it's, I always wished or, you know, it would have been great to have a Canadian team at the highest level of cycling, you know, when I was obviously at my peak, that would have been interesting but it never existed. So, you know, it's also it's always a little bit more of a hurdle for Canadian guys to really, you know, find a home somewhere. Uh, I think that's kind of a little bit of the trick because, you know, there isn't a real, real team you can fall back on Canadian-based anymore. So, you know, hopefully maybe that changes in the future. And really, you know, I think that would stimulate uh, even more guys getting opportunities and, and finding more talent if you have a cleaner line
0: to the big show. What's your opinion of these young guys coming through and already being at the top almost yeah. straight away? You know, seeing guys from different disciplines. Yeah. Um, obviously, we saw Walt Van Ert and, and, and uh, Vanderpoel yesterday at the front of, uh, of um, uh, Tour of Flanders. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, what's your take on the sport right now? It seems like it's kind of really changing in its, in its core.
2: Well, I think that's, uh, yeah. maybe touched a little bit is the guy, you can be there already as a, as a 20, 21, 22 year old. Uh, I think that just shows how healthy the sport is and where it's at now. And it's not really an olden guys uh, sport where if you're young and you're there and you're around, you know, these guys, it's, it's hard to imagine you're going to be the guy because there's already the guys. So you're just there trying to find your way, help, you know, support, do your job, uh, and it's professional sport. I mean, you know you know more or less what your goal is going to be or what your opportunities or chances will be when you sign with the team. Hopefully you should. Hopefully you have good guidance and, and know what you're getting yourself into. So, you know, I think now because that's the way it's going, the teams are supporting guys right off the bat. 'Cause the talent's there and the level's there. You know, why why wouldn't you, you know, try to win a race with a guy that's twenty, twenty two, twenty three years old already and he's in the front. That's just the way it is. I mean, if they weren't, then that wouldn't be the case. But now that's the case. So I mean, I would have loved to be a, a twenty year old entering the sport today, that's for sure.
1: Okay, Ryder. <laughs> thank you very much and take care of yourself and we'll see you out on the road soon, hopefully.
2: Absolutely. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care.
1: And that's it. That's all we have time for this week. Hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you again to Ryder Heisdahl for joining us. You can find all of our past episodes as well as a ton of other fantastic cycling journalism over at VelaNews.com. You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or whatever your favorite go-to podcast site may be. Just search for Put Your Socks On or Fizzo, p y s o please continue to show your support by subscribing to this program and please spread the word by telling your friends about us
0: you can reach out to us on instagram at that is gus and at bobby.julik get in touch with us any suggestions any feedback we appreciate the stuff we do get and until next week enjoy final week of the Juro. enjoy the first week of love welter and enjoy you know the time in the as it as the weather's cooling
1: down thanks to all of our listeners out there stay safe stay sane stay calm and don't forget to put your socks on